Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right. Well, did you uh, bring your Bible today? All the cool 90s kids... Say after me, word up. That was cool in the 90s. No. It never, ever was cool. It was grouse, actually. It was grouse uh, is probably what it was. Uh, Listen, over winter, we're uh, going through a, a brief teaching or preaching series that I've called Word Up and uh, spending two Sundays to kick it off uh, looking at how to read the Bible. In Jesus's, one of Jesus' most famous parables, the parable of the sower, he tells this story. I won't go through it because we, we spent a bit of time in that last week. But he tells his story and then he says at the end of it, each one of you should be careful how you listen. How many of you know that for any relationship, listening well is key? It's one thing to know what someone tells you. It's another thing to know what they meant. By what they said, okay? How many of you, I know that's what I said, but that's not what I mean. All right. It's the same with the scriptures. We, we want to know what God says. We want to know what he means. And we want to be able to apply that into our life. And so we need to be good listeners when we come to the scriptures. Uh, the scriptures is one of the main and major ways that God speaks to us. And uh, I have a great passion in helping people to read the Bible and hear God through the Bible for themselves. Okay, I'm I'm not the guy standing on the platform with the microphone means I'm some high priest whose job is to hear God for the plebs in the pews. Okay, that is that is not a model. That is a a terrible type of mentality. No, no, no. We all uh, in this new relationship we have with God, thanks to Jesus at the cross, have the ability to hear God for ourselves. And that's what what in the scriptures it calls the new covenant. And no longer will neighbor saying, know the Lord, know God, this is how you know God. This is... No, 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 we will each know God for ourselves. Jesus said, my, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. Sometimes you feel like you don't know God's voice, but listen to me, you do, okay? You do know God's voice and we're all on a journey to be hearing him speak clearer with greater clarity and being confident in how he speaks to us. One of the major ways God is committed to speaking to his people is through the scriptures. And as I said last week, it is common for preachers and pastors to encourage people to read the Bible and to give us a whole list of reasons as to why we should. Why? This is why you should read the Bible. And there is some help to that. It is important to know the why behind the what. The why can be inspiring, it can be motivational. But why on its own can actually be debilitating. Because when you're just told why you should do something, if you don't know how to do it, you can actually, it actually feels like, I know I should, I know I should, I know I should, I know I should, and you wear the, a burden weight of responsibility without knowing how to go about it. Most all of us know we should spend our money budget well. Most all of us know that we should exercise, we should treat our bodies well. Most all of us know we should eat healthy. Most all of us know we should invest in relationships that matter. Most all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus today, know we should be in the Word. We know what we should do. And my job is not now to tell you what you should do or why you should be a people of the Scripture. I want to tell you how 
to read the Bible, okay? How? Some practical handles on how to read the Bible because knowing how to do something can be a great inspiration. You combine the what with the how and you get pow. Pow, wow. I know this might surprise you, but I just thought of that. That was like, that was live. Uh, And so, to help you... Uh, I've come up with uh, simple five points that I want to share. Two we did last week, three more today. A, E, I, O and U. How should you read the Bible? A, we should approach the Bible, our Bible reading with appreciation. How should we read the Bible? Read it with appreciation. Be grateful for the Scripture. And we started here last week because as practical as I want to get, and I will get um, far more practical today, The heart of the issue is an issue of the heart, okay? The heart of the issue is an issue of the heart. And so when we approach our Bible reading, just like many of us have done when we sit down to a meal, we start by giving thanks. We start by saying, Lord, thank you. I thank you for this word. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 119. I'm sure most of you have got this psalm memorized. Verse 11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart. Your word I have treasured. In verse 16 later on, he says, I shall delight in your statutes or your, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. The word of God is something we should treasure. The word of God is something we should delight in. And last week, uh, as we looked at Hebrews 3 and 4, where the writer or the writers, plural, um, say to God's people, listen, don't harden your hearts. Don't have a hard heart because the Word of God wants to come into good soil. And one of the things I believe that is a key to having a fertile heart is a heart that is, appreciates God's grace, that is appreciative, a heart that gives thanks. So when you open your Bible, give thanks. How do you read the Bible? Read it with appreciation. Amen. Number two, we should read our Bible A-E. Read our Bible with expectation. We learned there as we looked at Hebrews 4, it says that God's people in the Exodus, the Word of God came to them, but it did not benefit them because they did not combine the hearing of the Word with faith. Okay, They did not combine the hearing with faith. They did not have expectation for God to actually do something with what He said. Okay, expect. So we should come to the Word of God with expectation. You should expect God to speak to you as you approach this scripture. All right, Lord, I thank you. This I thank you so much for this scripture. I do not take your word for granted, and I expect you to speak to me today. Three areas you should expect God to speak to. You should expect Him to speak to your head. I've come to your word, Lord, and I'm going to learn something today. Change the way I think. Renew my mind today. I expect to learn something. I expect you to speak to my heart. I expect to feel something today. And Lord, I expect you to speak to my hands. I expect to leave my reading today knowing that I'm going to do something about what I've read. Your head, your heart and your hands, I expect you, Lord, to minister to me. It was on the day of Pentecost today, Acts chapter 2, when Peter the Apostle spoke on that day as the Holy Spirit supercharged the atmosphere and it says that as he preached, the Word of God pierced their hearts. Literally, that word in the Greek means to go down from a higher to a lower place. It's like information that they had in their heads. When Peter preached, nothing he said was new to them. You crucified Jesus. Yeah, we know that. 
No, no, no. You delivered him over to the Romans. Yeah, yeah, we know that. None of what Peter said was new that day, but it went from their heads, whoom, into their hearts. And most all of us know what that's like when the Holy Spirit takes us as we read the Scripture. We don't just expect Him to minister to our head, as important as that is. We expect Him to minister to our heart. I expect to learn something. I expect to feel something. And I expect to do something with His Word. These are healthy expectations as we approach the Scripture. All relationships are based on expectations. And it is good for you to have expectations of God. It is good for you to have good expectations of God as you approach Him, to meet with Him in His Word. Lord, I appreciate Your Word. Lord, I expect You to speak to me, head, heart and hands. A, E, I. Third thing, how to read the Bible. You should read the Bible with intention. Read the scriptures intentionally. Proverbs 21.5 says this. Proverbs 21.5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good planning leads to prosperity. In other words, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing purposefully. Something's worth doing, it's worth doing purposefully. Now, in life, we can get away with a lot of little things that are very spontaneous and, and last minute. But when it comes to building something of any significant weight, when it comes to building something of any significant size or importance, my goodness, you need to have a plan. How many builders? We've got a, few, got a number of guys here in the building trade. If you're going to build anything of significant size, you need to have a plan Good planning leads to prosperity and the larger and more important something is, the more intentional you need to be. And what could be more important than building a life on the solid foundation of God's Word? One of the things we need to do as we read the Scriptures is to do it intentionally. And this is an area that is probably one of the greatest weaknesses in these areas of how to read the Bible. Most, I would dare say, I won't ask for a show of hands. But I would dare say that for the majority of Christians, we kind of approach the Bible like a lucky dip. Mm, I've got to read the Bible. Chad preached. What did Chad preach? I said, I'm reading the Bible. Yeah, okay. So, <sighs> Eliakim, son of Hilkanah, Shebna, and Joah. Okay. That's not really helpful. Let's flick to something else. Flick to something I've highlighted before. Okay. We, we read through a whole swath of seemingly irrelevant names and numbers and stories to get to some bits that might speak to my pressing crisis or need. Okay, we treat it like a lucky dip. No, no, no. We should approach our Bible reading intentionally. You will get far more out of this book if you are purposeful in how you approach it. Three ways you can approach the Scriptures with intention. Number one, read it devotionally. Read it devotionally. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the ways of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither 
Uh, the who is this person? The person who meditates on God's Word. This first of three approaches to intentional Bible reading is devotional. It's about sitting down with the explicit intention of meditating on the Scriptures and allowing God to minister to your heart. It's the least technical of the three methods. And for those of you who are real heart people, this is yours, okay? You might read two verses and you just stop and pause and worship and thank God. You might have a devotional book. Uh, you can go to a Christian bookshop. There are a plethora of them. You can have apps, websites, all manner of things that give you just two or three nuggets of truth for you to chew on and reflect on. You might read the Bible with an instrument in your hand. You might read the scripture with music in the background. A devotional reading is all about drawing near and adoring the author. Devotion is all about your heart commitment to someone. And when a devotion is expressed to God, it is an act of worship. So reading the Bible devotionally is about coming to him and saying, Lord, minister to my heart. This is my expectation today. I want to minister to my heart. I'm going to meditate on this word. I'm going to chew it over. It might be one sentence. I might spend a whole month reading, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And every day for a month, that's my intentional reading. Read Psalm 23 every day. And I'm just going to chew it over and chew it over and chew it over and allow the Lord to minister to my heart. I said last week, this is the only book that you have where every time you read it, the author is sitting right next to you. The author is with you the whole time you open this book. Say, Lord, what does this mean? Minister to my heart. Why? Because my intention is to be devotional in my reading today. That is the first approach. And many of you love that approach to the scripture. The second intentional approach. How should I read the Bible? Intentionally, read it with devotion. Number two is to read the scriptures topically. Okay, or thematically. So you might be in a place in your life, as I am now. I'm writing something at the moment. I have a subject matter in my mind. And so what I'm doing is I'm going through the Bible, looking up every verse that's relevant to that particular truth. Okay? So some of you, you've just become a Christian in the last year or so. God's hopefully going to be speaking to you about getting water baptized. Okay? One of the great things for you to do is to do a topical Bible reading. This month, I'm going to look up every verse about baptism. That's my intention. And I get on a computer program or I look up the you know, words in the back or whatever Bible you've got and I'm studying the whole thing about water baptism and I'm searching through the scriptures as I do it. All right? This is what we see in Acts 17. When Paul and Silas go to a place called Berea, they're traveling around, ministering in different places and they're preaching. And the people who were listening to Paul in Berea, it says that they were of noble character because when they listened to the preacher, they said, oh, that sounds interesting. I'm going to go home and examine the scriptures for myself. Okay? An intentional Bible reading on a theme or a topic is when you examine the scriptures. It's not about the scriptures examining you. A devotional reading is about the scripture examining me. A, th- a topical reading is about me digging into the scriptures, going, let me, let me, let me, let me search this out, let me search this out. Okay, And some of you, this could be the thing you take home today. You say, you know what? I'm really interested in Holy Spirit, Pentecost. 
What happened? Well, go read Acts chapter 2. And then you'll read about signs and wonders and miracles and tongues and... Well, I'll look up all the verses that talk about tongues and prophecy and signs and wonders. I'll look up that topic. Okay. So you can have a top. You can have a character. Maybe like Mary Magdalene. Okay. Or Joseph, uh, you know, from Genesis or something like that. And you just look up every scripture you can find on that person. Be intentional. It's a great thing to do. It's a topical study. I'm reading the Bible with intention and I'm looking at a topic at the moment and I'm just eating everything I can on that theme. Okay. Some of you, that might be the thing you need to do at the moment. Three approaches to intentional reading. Devotionally, topically, and the third is Chad's favourite chronologically. <laughs> Paul writes this to the Thessalonians. He's writing to them, his letter, okay, and right at the end he says this, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The idea is that the Thessalonians were getting Paul's letter and he said, I want you to read this letter out to the church. He says the same thing to the Colossians. He said this, Colossians 4.16, he says, after this letter's been read to you, see that you also read the letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans. How many of you have ever, ever read Paul's letter to Laodicea? No? Okay, we've lost it. Okay, we don't, we don't have it. But we've got the letter of the Colossians. And he said, listen, I want you to take this letter and I want you to read it. Now, think about it. How do you think Paul wanted his letter to be read out loud to the church? Do you think... He wanted you know, the pastor or whatever to get up and just go, oh yeah, read the first couple of verses in the intro, turn to the back, read some farewells, turn to the middle, read another highlighted verse. You know, No, 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 no verses, no chapters, no breaks, no division, a letter. I want you to read the thing out loud. What's he saying? Like you read any letter, read it from the start to middle and finish. This is nice and orderly. This is the linear approach, chronological, where you start at the beginning and you put one step in front of the other and you just walk through from beginning to middle to end, systematically read it through. And for the vast majority of books in the Bible, this is how you're meant to read them. Okay, that is how they're supposed to be read. Start, middle, finish, read it in chronological order. For the smaller ones, we should be able to read them through in one sitting. And to do that, you get the flow and the thought and the theme and the Marbo vibe of the whole letter, okay, that you will miss if you just cherry-pick little verses. Most of Paul's letter, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Thessalonians, you should be able to sit down and voom, just read from start to finish. The gospel's a little bit harder, they're a bit long, but it's possible. If you've got half an hour or an hour, you should be read, able to read almost any book from start through to finish and you get the narrative flow. You'll miss a lot of details, but you just go, that's fine. It's okay to miss the details. I'm getting the vibe of the thing, okay? Psalms, Proverbs, those type of books, there's no narrative flow. It's kind of like a cookbook. You just open it up and go, I'm going to have that recipe today. Boom, you know, that's okay for those books. But with books that have a narrative flow, a storyline, my friends, read the thing in order. Some of you, that's exactly what you need to take away today. Chad, I haven't done that for a while. Just sat down and read it like a book. What a novel thought. Read the Bible like a book. Wow, that's an incredible thought. Uh, some of you, and this is what last year, I took a whole group of people through the Bible in a year on YouTube. Those videos, as I said last week, are still 
there. You might leave today and you go, you know what, I'm going to set myself a six-week goal of reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Acts. Just read it. You're going to miss a stack of detail. It doesn't matter. That's not what a chronological, that's what a topical study is for. Get all the detail, get all the detail. Blah, blah, blah. This is chronological, get the flow, get the vibe, get the narrative. Okay? Some of you, maybe the best thing you could do is read Samuel about David, King David, Goliath, all that. It reads really easily. Some of you just pick Paul's letters and read them in the order he wrote them. Okay? As you go out today, there's a little sheet and I've got the whole Bible listed in chronological order. You can, it doesn't matter where you start, just start somewhere and just set yourself a goal. Maybe it's for five weeks, maybe it's for three months to read the Bible or part of the Bible through as it's been presented to us. Okay, my point is this, have a plan, have a plan. What are you doing at the moment, Chad? Well, last year I did chronological, this year I'm doing topical. That's my thing at the moment, I'm doing topical. For you, it could be devotional, but at least do something, okay? It's time to make a plan. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing with intention. And everybody said, you'll be tested next week. And uh, you'll be all asked to turn in your Bible to where you're reading, okay? And you should be expected to know. <laughs> A, appreciation. E, expectation. I, intention. O, when we read the Bible, we should do so with openness. Some of you were guessing during the week, yeah? O, we read with openness. I said last week that there are many identities we have as the church. Some of them we have up here in our wall. We're a body, we're a family, we're a bride, we're an army. Okay, We're partners with God, we're a temple. But one of the identities that we have as followers of Jesus, so long as Jesus is a teacher, that makes us... Come on, students... So long as he's a good teacher, we are to be good students. And one of the attitudes of a student is a good student says, I'm open to learn. I'm always open to learn because do you know what? I don't know everything. And I might be wrong. It's possible. Yeah, I know. It doesn't happen very often, Tiff, but it, yeah, it does... Uh, Being open is being humble enough to admit, I don't know it all. Yeah. And what I think I know, I might actually be wrong. Yeah. And the only reason West, mm, that kind of thinking has really helped advance Western society. Say, so you know what? We don't know it all. There's more to discover. And what we know now, we're happy to change if we're proven wrong. We're going to keep discovering, keep learning, okay? keep moving forward. It's about being open to say, I'm willing to learn. And as I've said to you many times, life, God or life, whatever, gives us, not that they're the same, sorry, let me, let me start the sentence and then you'll get it. God or life gives us good and bad examples to learn from. Okay? We've all got good and bad examples in our life. We are to learn from both. Some of us have good parents. We're to learn from them. Some of us have bad parents. You are to learn from them and their example, okay? We've all got bad stuff that happens to us, we have good stuff that happens to us, those experiences are all there to help us grow in wisdom. Well, the Bible is full of good examples, and the Bible is full of bad examples 
are people that we should learn from. Here's a collection of verses that were said of God's old covenant community throughout their life. Isaiah 48 says this. This is about being open to learn, open to change. Okay, Isaiah 48.4 For I know how stubborn and obstinate you are. Your necks are as unbending as iron. Your heads are as hard as bronze. This whole picture of a neck being unbending is like a, a farmer with an ox. Okay, or an animal, like a donkey, you want to steer it. Okay, we're going that direction, now I'm wanting to steer you this way. And the animal would be like, no. Okay, I'm going this way, I've gone this way for 20 years, this is how my parents went, this is how the church has always gone, this is how I've always seen it, and I don't care what the Holy Spirit wants to do, my neck's stuck that way. And it's the same, this is what happened with God's people in the Old Testament. Your necks are, as, uh, are unbending as iron, your heads are as hard as bronze, nothing can get in there. You think that's harsh? These are the words from gentle Jesus, meek and mild. John 8, 37. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your heart for my message. No room in your heart. Closed off my heart to anything God wants to say. Because I know it all. Now, Jesus comes along and says some stuff that, oh, that's not what we were expecting. Close off their heart. I'm not open to this. Jesus said, your hearts are closed to my message. Stephen, as he's being stoned, Acts 7.51 says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to truth. Must you forever resist Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did and so do you. These aren't flattering words, are they? Hard necks, hard heads, closed hearts, stubborn, rebellious resistant and God puts these people in the scriptures so that we can learn from them because Romans 15 says everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that we can have hope and we can say there's a bad example that I can learn from Lord I'm open to learning I'm willing to be flexible with my neck when you turn me I'm willing to soften my head and soften my heart when you're wanting to say something to me because both before during and after we read the Bible you're going to need to be humble. And that's a challenge that will stay with you for the rest of your reading life because there's always something to learn. Before you read the Bible, you come with we come with presuppositions, things I presuppose to be true, a framework I have in my head that says this is how it is and I filter everything through that. Be prepared for those presuppositions to be challenged by truth and be open to saying, ooh, I just saw something that took me by surprise, but I'm open to hearing you, Lord. Oh. As we read the scripture, God will challenge us sometimes with our preferences. There's not a problem having preferences. Because your personal preferences determine who you are as an individual. There's certain things in the scripture I love reading and certain things I don't. And so, I know none of you do this, but I have a habit of reading over bits to get to the bits I like. Openness says, I'm willing, I'm not willing for my preferences to become prejudices. It's okay to have preferences for things you like, but if those preferences stay unchecked, they can turn into prejudice against things we don't like. It took me 14 years in this pulpit, to preach my first ever attempted message on the second coming, 
rapture, resurrection, return of Christ. Resurrection of the dead, not the resurrection of Christ, but all, all the eschatology stuff. I avoided that subject for 14 years. And the reason I avoid it as a preacher in public is because as a reader in private, I avoided it. Because while I'm happy to sing the closing hymns of the songs, oh, that's a big, Jesus is coming back soon, rah, rah. I also know that there's end time stuff is not all beer and Skittles. Oh, that's literally a verse. No, just kidding, it's not. <laughs> and so often as I read through the scripture and I get to some of the not so nice stuff, oh yeah, I just read over that a bit quickly. And this is what happens because I want to get to something that I like, something that I'm familiar with, something I feel like I understand, I've got a handle on. Preferences are fine, but sometimes preference can produce prejudice against things we don't like. And being open, being humble is to say, Lord, I'm willing for you to teach me something I may never have learnt or seen before. Even if it makes me feel uncomfortable for a while, I trust you because you're a good teacher. Okay? Being open as we approach the scripture for God to teach us, to move our necks, to minister to our heads, to work through our icy hearts. Say, Lord, I'm open to whatever it is you're wanting to say. Amen. Five ways to read the Bible. A. Appreciation. Thank you, Lord. E. Expectation. I expect you to speak to me, Lord. Head, heart, hands. A. E. I. I'm going to read with intention. I know what I'm doing today. Today, I'm reading this letter through in chronological order. Or today, I'm searching this subject. Or today, I'm here to minister, Lord, for you to minister to my heart. I'm just reading one psalm over and over again. A E I. O. I'm open. Lord, I'm humble enough to admit I don't know it all and I could be wrong. And I'm open enough to admit that my church, my seminary, my denominational background, my parents, my favorite preacher, they also don't know it all and they could be wrong. I'm open to hear your voice. A E I O. The last thing is a massive subject, and so I'm just going to mention it. I mean, all of these are big, right? We need to read the Bible with some degree of understanding. <laughs> and under and uh, You got that one. An understanding of what, Leanne? Understanding the rules that surround Bible reading. There are rules, there are principles, there are processes and practices about how to go about interpreting the Bible well. In fancy pants terms, the word is hermeneutics. Okay? Hermeneutics is actually a word that you can use about any literature, not just the Bible. It's about how to interpret literature. How do I take what I'm reading and know what it means and then somehow apply it to my life? Like all good words, it comes from the Greek. Yeah? Windex. Yeah? No. Um, it comes from the Greek Hermes, hermeneutics. And Hermes was the Greek god of communication. Some people even credit him with the invention of speech. You can help your spiritual life with some Greek pagan theology here, okay? That's why in the scriptures, when Paul was preaching once at a place, they called him Hermes because he was the chief speaker. It was a normal name, Hermes. So we get the word hermeneutics from that. It's about 
How do we understand literature? When you're looking at Google Maps, if you use Google Maps and you're on your app and you've got the direction that you're going and the road that you're about to travel on is red, how do you interpret that? What does that mean? I know it says the road is red, but what does it mean? Does it mean that someone painted it red last night while you're all sleeping? Yesterday it was a bitumen grey road, but now it's red? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. Does red mean it's in love? Because that's the colour of red, and it's, the road's in love. Oh, look at how I get to... No, does red mean it's flowing with blood? Is it socialist? Is it a Manchester United fan? Are only red cars allowed to drive on it that day? Is that what it means? No, no, no. When the road is red, it means the traffic's heavy. And you know that because you imply basic literary rules of interpretation. The question is not, what does red mean to me? Well, red means romance, and so obviously South Road's very romantic today. I'll go that way. No. Red means... What it means is what the author means. I don't give two hoots what you think it means, what you want red to mean. The question is, what does the author mean? When the author says the road is red, he means it's busy, it's heavy traffic, and now you've got a choice to make. Do you keep going that way, or do you take Marion Road? Okay, you've got an option now. So these are one of the rules of reading literature. What does it say? Okay, it says the road is red, but what does that mean? And it means what the author determines it means. You do not choose meaning, you just discover the meaning that's already been there because that's what the author means. And so there's a lot of rules like that that govern the way we're supposed to read the Scriptures intelligently. Well, that's a bit hard for Sunday morning, isn't it? Read the Bible intelligently. We have to understand the rules. Paul puts it this way when he writes to Timothy. I want to draw this parallel and then we'll close. He says this in 2 Timothy 1.8. We know that the law is good if you use it properly. You know that the law, we don't... What does Paul mean by that? He might mean the Ten Commandments. Okay? He might mean the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He might mean the whole Tanakh which is just to keep with the T's and to impress you with a fancy pants word that you don't understand. Tanakh means Old Testament. Okay? It could, what does he mean by saying the law? Whatever. We don't really know, but what he means is this. We know that the Scripture is good, but it's only good if you use it properly. There's a proper way to use the Bible. Then he says this in his second letter to Timothy. He says, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete... You don't get the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Now, you can't tell this in the English, but in the Greek, the word there for rules and the word there for use it properly is the same word. And it's the only two times in the whole Bible it's ever used. So Paul is saying there are rules that govern reading the Bible, just like there are rules that govern sport. And you need to play according to the rules. And the more you understand the rules, the more you want to read. And the more you read, the more you understand the rules. It's like showing someone from overseas AFL for the first time. 
When someone from overseas comes and watches AFL, they do not know what's going on. Do you, John? No idea. It's just manic. It's chaos. It's disorganized. It's disorderly. There's no rhyme or reason to it. What's going on, John? How do you understand this game? Well, you understand it by sitting with an Aussie who can explain the rules. And the more they explain the rules, the more you want to watch. And then the more you watch, the more you get the rules. And then the more you understand the rules, the more you're inclined to watch. And so there's an upward spiral of familiarity and fanhood. Oh, yeah, I like this. Oh, yeah, I can say, oh, yeah, this is, oh, yeah, I get it. Oh, yeah, it's the same with the Bible. <laughs> it appears disorganized, which is why some of you never open the thing. Because it's like watching a sporting game. You just don't know how it works. Who the heck is that guy? Why am I reading that again? What are all these funny names? Who cares about the dimensions of the gold and the what the what? <laughs> it appears disorganized. But if you understand how it works, then the more you want to read it, the more you read it, even if you don't get everything, the more you understand how it works. That's why even the most confusing book of the lot of them, the last one, John says, blessed is he who reads this prophecy. He doesn't say blessed is he who understands every word of it. He just says blessed is he who reads it. There is something in just reading and familiarizing yourself and you understand how it works. The more you understand, the more you want to read. And you will understand the scriptures more if you're intentional in your reading, if you're open to learning, if you appreciate God's word. Not if you're disinterested, but if you're like, no, 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 I actually thank you for this. What, the Brussels sprouts tonight for dinner? This... Okay, I don't really understand everything on the table, but I'm grateful for it. <laughs> uh, I'm gra- if you have that attitude, you've prepared a heart ready for the seed of God's word. Yeah. Appreciation, expectation, intention, openness, and some kind of understanding as to how the thing works. And more and more, understanding how the Bible works is just something that sometimes comes with handling it. And sometimes comes by listening to other people teach on the rules, on hermeneutics. I've done that here before. I'll do it again. Uh, It's basically the subject of the book I'm writing at the moment, helping people to know how to handle the Bible and read it properly. And uh, really looking forward to that. In the meantime, I've got something on YouTube uh, uh, that I preached a number of years ago in New Zealand uh, about how to handle the scriptures with some good principles in there about how to understand the Bible properly. I'd like to encourage you to read... To word up. Word up this winter. Word up. And however you approach it, whatever little goals you set for yourself, please do something. Please do something. Even if it's just this week, just bite-sized, you know, baby steps. What about Bob? Baby steps. 90s film reference. Forget it. Don't worry. Even if it's just baby steps, do something. Open your Bible. Choose a book. Read it, give thanks, and trust God to speak to you. Come on. You do that? Yeah. I'd like you to stand for your feet, and I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you to word up this winter. And then uh, we can call it there and do something else. <coughs> How about I pray, and then Rob can uh, dismiss us. Do you know the person well, uh, next to you well enough to just let them know you're there? Father, together we are grateful 
for your living and active word. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides even things that are so intricately connected like soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Your scripture can come with such precision. And today we stand on the backs of thousands of years of history. Thousands upon thousands of hours of copywriting, translating, printing, protection. The, 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 the one book that has changed the world, that has had such an influence on the planet more than anything else. And we today say we're thankful that we have the eternal word of God in our language, in our hands, available to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is written on paper. But we thank you, Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, take that word and write it on our hearts. And so for my heart right now, I just say, Lord, I thank you for an increased hunger for your word. Increased understanding. And I say to you today, Lord, I will be careful in how I listen. I am your servant. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening to you. And now may the love of the eternal Father, that unceasing, undeserved, powerful, perfect love that casts out fear, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Favor, empowering, that gives us unusual advantages in life. Undeserved, but fully powerful and equipping us for everything we need. And may the friendship and partnership of Holy Spirit on this day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit whom Jesus said will never leave or forsake us, the Holy Spirit who comes alongside to help and who guides us into all truth, who would take the things I've said and make them alive to you. May the friendship and partnership of Holy Spirit be with all my brothers and sisters, those to my left, those to my right. I bless them. In Jesus' name. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.